0: Hello there, and welcome to a brand new episode of My Favorite Movies, the podcast in which I count down my 100 favorite movies week by week. And I am, as always, your host, Chris. On the previous episode, we cracked the top 10. We talked about number 10 on my list of my 100 favorite movies. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and number nine, A Ghost Story. On today's episode, we will discuss number eight on my list of my 100 favorite movies, Dogtooth, the 2009 Greek drama co-written and directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, a director we've talked about previously on this list when we discussed The Lobster. That movie, if you would like to check it out, is currently streaming on Canopy and Shudder. We will also talk about number seven on my list of my 100 favorite movies, Before Sunrise, the 1995 romantic drama film directed by Richard Linklater, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. We've already talked about Before Sunset and Before Midnight, the two sequels to this film. Uh, but this, of course, is the original and what is my favorite trilogy of all time. Unfortunately, Before Sunrise is not streaming anywhere, as far as I know. And if you would like to skip ahead to one of those, uh, check the episode description and you will find the timestamps to do so. That's the first time I've worded that so strangely. Usually I just say, N, the time codes are in the episode description if you would like to skip ahead. Crazy, I've done how many episodes of this? I just realized, only like three more left after this, right? We're almost there. Thank goodness. On the next episode of My Favorite Movies, we will discuss number six and number five on my list of my 100 favorite movies. Number six, Magnolia. Magnolia is a 1999 American epic drama film written, co-produced, and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It is a mosaic of interrelated characters in search of happiness, forgiveness, and meaning in the San Fernando Valley. 818 till I die. And the prince of the San Fernando Valley, Paul Thomas Anderson. Is it fair to call him the prince of the San Fernando Valley? I do not know. Uh, We talked about PTA before when we talked about Punch Drunk Love and There Will Be Blood. So um, as far as I know, this is the third Paul Thomas Anderson film we are talking about on my list of my 100 favorite movies. I wonder if it will be the last. Hmm. Magnolia is currently streaming on Netflix, if you want to check that out. And on the next episode, we will finally crack the top five of my list of my 100 favorite movies. Number five. And let me just say, before I tell you what it is, sometimes these kind of move around a little bit. (laughs) Um, Sometimes this one is like four for me, or even three on some days. But uh, today we're going to leave it at five. I'm talking about Mulholland Drive. That's the 2001 neo-noir mystery film written and directed by David Lynch. Eraserhead, Blue Velvet... Elephant Man, what have we talked about on this list? Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. I mean, oh, he's a master. He's a master of what he does. And uh, and this, I guess we'll find out once we finish the list, but I'll go ahead and tell you. This is my favorite David Lynch film. So it's the story of an aspiring actress named Betty, uh, newly arrived in LA and she meets in, you know what, I'm not even gonna keep telling you what it is. You should check out Mulholland Drive, directed by David Lynch. Unfortunately, not streaming anywhere. I'm very sorry about that. Uh, so, what have I watched recently? So, I told you I was watching on the Halloween movies. I finally finished that one up, watched the last one. Well, rewatched it, really. Uh, I saw The Fog for the first time, the original. Pretty good. The Skin I Live In. Incredible film with Antonio Banderas. Uh, check it out. The Skin I Live In. Just, it, it's so messed up and beautiful. Yeah, anyway. I rewatched Contagion. That movie's terrifying. It was terrifying when I saw it when it came out in theaters, and it's uh even more terrifying now. And prescient. I watched the Scorsese film The Age of Innocence. I watched the horror film Society. Uh, I'm currently uh, I'm rewatching the Friday the thirteenth series. I've watched the first five. Those are good movies. Maybe even better than the Halloween movies. I mean not any of none of them are better than the first Halloween film, obviously, that's on my list. But the series itself I think Friday the 3rd, yeah, it doesn't matter. Let's keep, let's keep going. In the Mouth of Madness, the John Carpenter film, pretty good. I saw Dogville. Folks, this is very important for this podcast. The Lars von Trier film Dogville, starring Nicole Kidman, Paul Bettany, Stellan Skarsgård, Ben Gazzara, a lot of people. The first movie I've seen in a, a while that I think might actually belong on this list Honestly, maybe the first movie I've seen since I started this list that I was like, like not one that I forgot. You know how I forgot. uh, Well, I guess Booksmart is a new one. Um, But that's like a new, new movie. Dogtooth is a movie that's been out since, you know, it's been out for maybe almost 20 years. I don't know. Um, Wow. Wow. Dogville. If I said Dogtooth by accident, any time during there, know that I meant Dogville. They're just right beside each other on this list. I rewatched Dog Tooth, of course, for this episode. I saw Manos. That's a film on Hulu, if you are interested. Beautiful cinematography. Score by Micah Levi. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. The composer. It's like Lord of the Flies with child soldiers. Wild. Um. And that's about it. Uh, and before I start talking about the movies, let me just recommend a little something something. Currently streaming on Netflix, I encourage that you check out the movie, Snowpiercer. Directed by recent four-time Academy Award winner Bong Joon-ho, Snowpiercer is incredible. Please check it out, currently on Netflix. Alright, let's do it. Let's get to the first movie on my list. I'm talking about number eight on my list of my 100 favorite movies, Dogtooth. So Dogtooth, as I mentioned earlier, is a 2009 Greek drama film co-written and directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. It's his second feature film, uh, but I feel like the first one that really... um, I mean, it's the one that made him a star, I would say. Uh, It won the Prix Un Certain Regard. That is, 20 films with unusual styles and non-traditional stories seeking international recognition. And it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the 83rd Academy Awards. Um, The film is... um, it's about a husband and wife who keep their children ignorant of the world outside their property well into adulthood. Now that's a little synopsis from Wikipedia. In fact, all this information that I'm telling you, I'm basically reading off a Wikipedia article. So take it up with them. Uh, let's get to the notes. I mean, really, I just I just took notes of things that were happening because the thing that was so special about this movie for me is, and maybe i'll i'll just I'll pull out the review that I wrote. ...a while back, but it's just a super strange film. So, I first saw this on September 11th, 2016. And I wrote, Holy cow, this movie is absolutely bonkers in a good way. It's best to go into the movie knowing nothing about it. It's fascinating and so interestingly shot. There is little to no score, which is very intriguing and really sets the mood for the film... There's a dance scene in the film that rivals Ex Machina as being one of the best and most interesting dance scenes on film. I cannot recommend this movie enough. It's amazing. This movie's going to stay with me and haunt me for a long time. So I'm going to keep talking about the movie, but take heed to what I said. I really think this movie is something that you should go into knowing nothing. It's also a very uh you know adult film so i don't know i don't really i'm not encouraging you to watch it if you're a child <laughs> but but i'm just gonna keep going with the notes i guess if you do want to keep listening so the movie starts and there there are three sort of adult children and they're listening to a tape and the tape is teaching the new words um like sea like the ocean or i, I don't remember what the other ones were But the thing is, it's teaching them that these words mean something else. For instance, um, let's say C. C means a wooden chair. For example, the C at the dining table is made of wood or something, you know? Um, So it's just teaching them the wrong things, which is very interesting. And it's sort of a theme for this movie. Like I said earlier, it's about these children that have been raised sheltered from the world. And now they're in their 20s and, um, you know, they're still like locked inside. The only person that ever leaves is the father of the family. He gets in his car and he drives to work and blah, blah, blah. Uh, One of the first scenes, the father's bringing in uh, this woman, Christina. She's blindfolded. Uh, She's driving her to his place uh, to have a conjugal visit with the son of the family. There's a part where they're all eating dinner and, you know, one of like the middle child says, could you please pass the telephone? And the mother says, of course. And she picks up the salt shaker and gives it to her. She says, thank you. So apparently in this house, they've taught them that telephone is, uh, is salt, salt shaker, salt. What? Isn't that wild? They do these things. Um, to get stickers. It's like good behavior and stuff. And the person who has the most stickers uh, gets to pick the nightly entertainment. And it's the son. And he decides uh, to watch a video. So they watch a home video. And it shows the family watching the video. And the middle child, she's like, she's got it memorized. She's just mouthing the words to the entire thing. It's, it's wild. Uh, the son does something bad. And the way he is punished is they make him put mouthwash in his mouth and keep it in and he can't spit it out. I don't know. It's strange. At some point in the movie, the daughter throws a, a little toy plane that blocks in the sun. She throws it over the fence, and uh, and in order for them to get it, they have to wait for their dad to go home from work. And he, you know, the son tells him, you know, the daughter, the eldest, threw the airplane over the fence, and so he has to get in his car, drive it like just a few feet outside of the fence and then reach down and pick it up. It's like you cannot leave the house unless you're in a car. At some point, there is a cat in the yard, and the brother kills it. That day, the father comes home, and he's covered in blood, and he basically says, like, your imaginary... Well, he says, your brother was killed by a cat, but he's. they're talking about, like, an imaginary brother? I, it's a very strange movie. I don't know. Anyway, they're at a dinner table, and you kind of learn that you're only allowed to leave. A person is only able to leave the property when their dog tooth falls out. It can be the left one or right one, doesn't matter. But you can only leave the house in a car. You can't just walk through the fence on foot. You can only leave in a car. And you can only learn to drive a car when your dog tooth comes back in. Left or right, doesn't matter. So, of course, we're talking about, you know, what do they call it? Bicuspids, the, you know, vampire teeth or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? They're just calling it the dog tooth canines. Is that what they're calling <laughs> I Again, not a dentist. So the idea is like, you know, if this tooth falls out, again, they're they're grown adults. Let's just be clear. Their dog teeth are not falling out. But that's the trick that the dad pulls. It says, hey, you, you can leave when your dog tooth falls out. But you got to leave in a car. But, oh, by the way, you can only learn to drive the car. When that dog tooth grows back in. So, you know, let me know when your dog tooth falls out and grows back in and then we can talk. Strange moment when the dad says, you guys want to hear grandpa sing? And they're like, yeah, of course. And so he throws on Fly Me to the Moon by Frank Sinatra. And he starts translating the words. First, he tells them, of course, that the, the, the person singing, Frank Sinatra, is, is their grandfather And instead of fly me to the moon, it's like the lyrics are like, my father loves me very much. He keeps me safe and blah, 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 you know, because they they don't know English. At some point, Christina, who is a security guard where the father works, and that's where he, you know, found her and he asked her to come over to have conjugal visits with his son who was in his 20s or whatever. When she's there, she tells him, she says, I dreamt you were a zombie. And he says, oh, okay, okay. And she's like, yeah, I mean, you know what a zombie is, right? He's like, yeah, of course. But then later he asks his mom, he's like, hey, uh, what's a zombie? And she's like, where'd you hear that word? And he's like, I don't know, probably dad. But uh, yeah, what is it? And she says, a zombie is a small yellow flower. At some point in the movie, the eldest, the daughter, she bargains with Christina and gets two VHS tapes from her. Now, again, these people are sheltered. They should not be watching VHS tapes. But she gets to—and I think—I mean, I don't know. Context clues. I think it was Jaws and maybe Rocky. Because one is like a—she's like pretending she's a boxer. And then later in the pool, she's pretending she's like a shark. And I feel like they're—she's quoting some things from the movie. Anyway, so the dad figures out. And he's like, hey, where'd you get this tape? And uh, I think she reveals that it was Christine— And so the dad says, okay, well, bring me some, uh, bring me some duct tape. So somebody does. He takes the VHS tape and he duct tapes it to his hand. And then he starts beating his eldest daughter in the head with it. And it is rough to watch to the point where I don't know how they filmed it because I don't know. It looked completely real to me. It looked like she was getting beat with a VHS tape. Can you imagine? No, thank you. Anyway, the dad goes to Christina's house. And they're like, he's like, oh, I, you know, this is a nice little place. You live here alone. And she's like, yeah, I live alone. But my, you know, my parents live up on the fourth floor. And he's like, okay, that's great. And then he goes to her VCR, unplugs it, and turns around and beats her with it. Beats her head with a VCR. And he basically says, this is for all the evil that you've brought to my family. Because, you know, she's like telling the son about zombies. She's giving the uh, the eldest daughter tapes um she's also uh exchanging oral sex which is not something i mentioned because they don't want to talk about it sorry anyway they fire her but they need a new person for conjugal visits and let me just say tune out because this is uh, at this point the the movie is fucked up okay they fire christina but they need a new person for conjugal visits but they don't trust anyone they don't want to risk bringing a new person in it took a while for them to build trust with christina you know he picks her up from work he blindfolds her, he drives her to his place, she has sex with his son, he blindfolds her again, he drives her home, you know, he keeps everything very secret, and now that, like, she, she messed it up, like, he can't, you know, who who are you going to find to do this? So, they decide to assign the task to one of their daughters, and he has to do a blind test where he's sitting in a bathtub, and they both get it naked, and he kind of just feels around, and, uh, and he chooses the eldest, and, uh... And a very uncomfortable, uh, very, very, very uncomfortable scene where they have sex. Um, And she basically, I think she quotes the movie and she basically says like, hey, uh, if you ever do that to me again, I'm going to rip your head off or something like that. Something that, you know, she's learning. She's, uh, you know, she's no longer this sheltered little person. Very messed up. Anyway. Uh, we get to the dance scene I talked about earlier, the eldest and the youngest daughter. I assume she's youngest and I assume the son is the middle child. Uh, they start doing a dance thing for the family and then, um, yeah, very wild. And then we get to the, the titular, I guess you could call it the titular scene, but we get to the dog tooth scene. The eldest daughter is standing in front of a mirror and you see a little dumbbell, maybe like a five pound dumbbell. Uh, just kind of sitting on the sink and she's looking in the mirror and she grabs the dumbbell and she smashes it into her face, right into her teeth. And I'm not kidding. I scream. I screamed louder than I've ever screamed. I knew it was coming. I knew what was going to happen, but I still was just like so affected by that. It's so visceral The sound is so upsetting. And she continues to beat her dog tooth maybe two or three times. Blood all over the place. You hear the tooth hit the porcelain sink. And she did it. She's happy. She's smiling in the mirror. She did it. She lost her dog tooth. So she goes. She starts going to the car. And she gets in the trunk of the car. You see, like, there's a a movement, motion-sensitive light that comes on when she gets in the trunk. And then it's just like a static shot of the trunk. And then you wait and the motion light just kind of goes off. Later, the dad is um, looking. Yeah, he goes into the sink and he sees there's blood everywhere. And then he realizes that, you know, the eldest daughter probably ran off. So he runs after her and he goes out and he, he he runs outside the fence thinking that maybe she ran away, like outside the fence. And she's running and she's looking around. He He goes and he gets the rest of his family to come. And they're all calling for. He's the only one that like leaves the fence, I believe. But they don't find her. And then we cut to the dad leaves for work, drives to work, parks in front of his job, walks inside. the camera is just a shot on the trunk, and uh it's just like a static shot, and you're just waiting for the trunk to open, and it never does, and it's just a shot of the trunk and blackout so that makes you wonder, is she going to get out of that trunk? Is she dead in the trunk? You know, don't know. The movie's over. The story's over. You gotta just wonder what happened there. Uh, And that's Dogtooth. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Upsetting movie. So we talked about the first time I saw it and my reactions. I loved it. My favorite scene, probably the dance scene, because it was just so wild, you know? Um, But I mean, there's a lot to love in this movie. A lot of great scenes. The dog tooth scene, obviously, incredibly effective. Would it move up or down? I think it might move down a little bit. I think one of the reasons it jumped so high uh, was because it's one of those movies that it's it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And it still, I think, is. You don't see a lot of movies like this. And um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's incredibly effective and I, I love it a lot. So yeah. That's, uh, that's Dogtooth. Highly recommend you check it out. It's currently on Canopy and Shudder. And it is a tough pill to swallow. All right, next up on my list of my 100 favorite movies, number seven, Before Sunrise. Now, Before Sunrise, it's from 1995. It's a romantic drama film, mainly romantic, I would say, directed by Richard Linklater, co-written by Linklater, and Kim Krizan. Hope I'm saying her name correctly. Uh, And it follows Jesse, a young American man, and Celine, a young French woman, who meet on a train and disembark in Vienna, where they spend the night walking around the city and getting to know and falling in love with each other. In a city where two people can walk around and fall in love. So, we've talked about before sunset and before midnight, of course... Um, But this is where it all started, you know, and um, this, of course, set the mood for the next two. Obviously would not be there without this one. Uh, I think this one does a lot for the minimal walk and talk, you know. It's just two people walking around. Nothing happens. There's no real conflict per se besides just two people fighting their natural urges to fall in love. Let's get to the notes. June 16th, 1994. A middle-aged couple is on a train fighting in German. And uh, there's this French woman named Celine. She is a little annoyed by the people. And she gets up and she moves seats closer to uh, this American gentleman named Jesse, who just happens to be on the train. And uh, they strike up a little conversation. He invites her to the lounge cart. They get to know each other a little more. And then the train uh, stops in Vienna, capital of Austria. And so he says to Celine, hey, what about this? How about you get off the train with me? You know, I've got nothing to do. I can't afford a hotel. So I'm really just going to walk around Vienna all night until my actual train or plane or whatever tomorrow. Um, Would you like to join me? And she does. And that, my friends, is the beginning of a beautiful Beautiful friendship, relationship, I should say. So they uh, they just walk around and they start talking. They get in the back of a trolley and they start talking. And there's that great moment where he's about to move some hair out of her face, but she kind of looks at him and he hesitates and he backs off that they try and rip off in the second one. And it doesn't feel quite as natural, but still good. They get in that listening booth at the record store and they listen to Come Here, occasionally trading glances. She looks at him. He's not looking at her. She looks away. He looks over at her. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. They go to the cemetery for no names. People who have washed up on the Danube and they just have no place to be buried. So they get buried in this small little cemetery. They get on the Ferris wheel and they're high above Vienna just looking around and they share their first kiss. And it's very beautiful. Although I love if the camera would have just panned over and we would have seen like a a young family of four Just kind of watching them. I don't know. Um, They go. They get their palm read by this woman who proceeds to say that everyone is made of stardust. Um, They talk about the word transitory, which I, you know, I'm finally learning. (laughs) They go to a cathedral. They find a, a struggling poet who says, hey, give me a word. I will put it into a poem. I'll write a poem just for you. And they say, milkshake. And he recites... Daydream delusion, limousine eyelash, oh baby with your pretty face, drop a tear in my wine glass. Look at those big eyes, see what you mean to me. Sweet cakes and milkshakes. I'm a delusion angel. I'm a fantasy parade. I want you to know what I think, don't want you to guess anymore. You have no idea where I came from. We have no idea where we're going. Lodged in life, like branches in a river, flowing downstream, caught in the current. I carry you. You'll carry me. That's how it could be. Don't you know me? Don't you know me by now? Woo! Hell yeah, dude. And uh, and they give him some money, and they tell him thank you. And Jesse's like, you know, he, he probably didn't write that. I mean, he, he probably wrote it, but, you know, he probably had it already pre-written, and he just kind of, poked in that word there somewhere. Uh, Either way, a beautiful moment. I loved it. They go, they play some pinball. They talk about their exes. uh, They go have a little, um, you know, they sit in like a cafe of some sort and they start talking. And uh, they have a little pretend phone call because she says, hey, do you mind if I uh, kind of practice my phone call I got to make to my grandmother in about eight hours? And he says, sure. And so they both like, pretend to be on a phone call and then he's like yeah what do you want to pretend to be you know my friend i I gotta call him blah 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 and she's like yeah sure and he's like uh hello she says oh hey dude um (laughs) like she's doing an american it's very funny um they're sitting on a little boat at a table cute little i mean it's docked it's you know it's obviously incredibly romantic and um And they talk about whether this should be it, if tonight should be the only night. And that's what they decide to do. They decide not to exchange numbers or addresses because they're scared that that, you know, they would call or write maybe once or twice and then it would fizzle. And they say, let's not do that. Let's just make tonight special. Tonight's the only night. It's cute because they have no idea what's going to happen in nine years or wh- where they're going to be in 18 years. It's so adorable when you go back and watch it, you know, they go to a bar, they find a bartender and they ask him for a bottle of wine and they say, hey, look, we'll pay you back. And he says, Are you really you'll, you'll pay me back. They say, yes. He's like, OK, I shake my hand. And he does. And then he gives him a bottle of wine and they go to a park. And they just kind of chill out and they talk and, um, and they make out and it doesn't actually show them having sex. I guess it's presumed. I don't know. Uh, but if you remember when we talked about before sunset, there is that point in the second film where it is debated where he's like, Oh, come on. We had sex. It was so good. Blah, blah, blah. Because uh, he just gets a little. Celine crazy in part two uh, you know whatever um but i think it is resolved later in that movie where she like lied about not remembering um but yeah so presumably they uh have sex in the park and uh and then it's the next morning and they're they're walking around and you know they're at the last little spot in the monument she's like got her head on his lap and they're talking and they're like oh yeah we didn't go to that play last night because earlier they met some people who invited them to a play. And, uh, and finally they go to the train station and it's at that point where they decide that they don't want this to be the only time they meet, you know, they want to keep talking. They, they, they want something so that, you know, they suggest like, should we meet here in five years? And like, no, that's, that's too long. How about a year? And he says, no, how about six months? And she's like, okay, okay. It's settled. We'll meet here again in six months, December 16th, 1994. I'll be there. First they're like, wait, six months from tonight or six months from last night. She's like, you know, last night. Um, and they, you know, they again decide, hey, no numbers, no addresses. That's depressing, but we will meet here in six months. And that is such a beautiful ending, I think, because you know, it's it's. I think it's very hopeful because you know, right before that, they were like, hey, let's never see each other again. Totally cool. Let's just let's just have this be what it is. And then after just a, you know a little bit more time together, they decide. No, that's stupid. Let's see each other again. And then we don't know. I mean, we know now, but we didn't know at the time what was going to happen in six months. It's very hopeful, I think. I think it's they're going to meet again in six months. Of course, spoiler alert for Before Sunset, if you haven't seen it yet, they don't meet in six months. He flies back there. He stays at the train station looking for her. She never shows up. She says that her grandmother died that weekend and she wasn't able to come out. So yeah, so he showed up and she did it. But it's okay because they found each other nine years later in a bookstore. Gosh, I love Before Sunset. But I love Before Sunrise. Um, I also, I, I love the song in the credits. I don't know what it is, but it's very, uh, you know, it's very 90s folk lady musician vocalist. <laughs> um. I also love the quote Celine says when she's on the fake phone call. She says, "I like to feel his eyes on me when I look away." Woo! <laughs> Great quote. Great quote. Um, okay. So, we talked about it the first time I saw it. We talked about my reaction. Actually, no, we didn't talk about it the first time I saw it. Let's talk about that. First time I saw this movie was November 18th, 2016. Two months and a week after I saw Dogtooth for the first time. Pretty crazy. I wrote, I absolutely adored this film. I fell in love with it. It's heartbreaking and beautiful. It crushed me and lifted me up at the same time. I was smiling through the tears. With each new scene, I found new reasons to fall in love with the characters. It's so minimalist and simple. Just two strangers walking and talking. I can't confess my love for it enough. It's probably the most romantic film I've ever seen. I wish I had seen it like 10 years ago. Why, oh, why didn't I watch it earlier? Makes me so nostalgic. I can't wait to watch the sequels. Yes, Chris, why didn't you watch this 10 years earlier? I think maybe you uh, probably wouldn't have made some terrible decisions in your love life. (laughs) Um... This movie reminds me of a certain person. It reminds me of a certain ex-girlfriend who will remain nameless. But the reasons why it reminds me of that person, not very obvious. In fact, kind of stupid. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I think that's one of the reasons why I love this movie so much. Because it does have a bit of a, it reminds me of the first time I fell in love. Well, I mean, not the first time I fell in love. But it reminds me of a time that I fell in love with someone. And that's why I love this movie so much. And that's why it affected me so much. And that's why I recommend it to you. The finest romance film ever made. Before Sunrise. The first film in the finest trilogy ever made. The Before Trilogy. So yeah, let's give it up for Jesse and Celine. To Jesse and Celine! Okay, folks. I believe that's all I've got to say about these two movies. They're both very good um, before Sunrise does uh I don't know, quote unquote hold up or whatever a little bit more than uh, Dogtooth. Dog Tooth. Uh, um but I also I you know there's you know we I I I know the characters from Before Sunrise more than I know the characters from Dogtooth. I feel like I've lived with Jesse and Celine. And I have because I've watched each of those movies two or three times. So you know, I'm not going to do the math, but that's like, you know, four and a half hours, 12, uh, 14, 15 hours with these people. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, was that fun? Listen to me struggle with that? It was stupid. That's what it was. Don't forget on the next episode, we're talking Magnolia and Mulholland Drive. What's interesting about that? First of all, is uh, they're both streets in Los Angeles, I just realized. Magnolia, of course, is about the San Fernando Valley, and it's about uh, Magnolia Boulevard. And Mulholland Drive, of course, is uh, the street, the drive that goes up into the hills. Uh, Once upon a time, I was trying to get somewhere in Hollywood. This was back when I was driving. Uh, Now I take the public transportation. It's better for the environment. Um... And it was like, hey, it's like it's uh, like 30 seconds faster if you take a right here. And I was like, ah, eh, fuck it. Why not? And I took a right, and it took me up Mulholland Drive. I was not trying to do that. I should have just stayed on the freeway. Anyway, next episode, Magnolia and Mulholland Drive. Let's call it the Los Angeles episode. By the way, as of uh, maybe an hour or two ago, Los Angeles County, it's on a stay-at-home advisory order. Or basically, it's a lockdown. You know, they you know they want you to stay at home, no non-essential travel. So I mean, you can still go for walks and stuff. Anyway, it's fine. Uh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Come on, <laughs> everything's fine. Anyway, on the next episode, Magnolia and Mulholland Drive. Magnolia currently on Netflix. Mulholland Drive, unfortunately, not streaming. Uh, but do check it out. And uh, yeah, you know, as always, I I just. Like I always say, it's it's really it's just a pleasure watching my favorite movies. You know, cool. Okay. Um, until next time. Bye bye.